Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just One More Thing. In today's episode, we are covering the April 23rd sermon titled, The Beauty of Your Identity. Okay, let's start off real quick with a video clip. Great choice. Princess yes, Diaries is your favorite. a classic. <laughs> but how did that tie in to this section of First Peter? Well, like the readers in uh, First Peter, Anne Hathaway's character did not understand or was completely surprised by the fact that she was royalty. And, um, you know, her reaction to that should have been uh, somewhat mirrored to the reaction that the first readers of this epistle might have uh, reacted, to know that they were a royal priesthood, a chosen people, uh, a holy nation. And so um, that, that's the way it was tied in. And, and I didn't make it clear during the sermon. I didn't tie it up, but I did make a statement that just as Julie Andrews' character said, I am royalty by marriage, she said, and Hathaway's character is royalty by blood. And that's the way we obtain this standing before God. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are royalty by blood. We're a royal priesthood. We're not here to serve ourselves, but to serve others. We're a royal nation or a chosen people, a a holy nation. And so that's the tie-in I was trying to make. And I think that's important because the pressure today is to try to define your identity. And And for most of us, our identity is achieved. It's something we um, strive to obtain, our identity. But what Peter says is that we receive this identity. We believe it. We receive it. And um, when we do that, the pressure is off to try to define ourselves. God has defined our standing before him. And I love that last phrase he uses. He says, You are God's special possession. And uh, I think if if we could just realize our value to the Father, it would make all the difference uh, in our public lives and in the way we live lives. It would transform our living. I I think this truth is transformational. Um, And so that's what I was trying to do uh, with the clip and— because Julie Andrews' character does say, you know, I can give you the book learning. I she understood that she might not look and act like a princess right now, that Anne Hathaway's character might not, but she could grow into that. And just because she didn't look like the princess right then doesn't mean that she's not. So she still is, regardless of the appearances, she still is that. And it's just a matter of being that to the fullest extent. And by the end of the movie... You go, wow, you know, you, the the princess comes out of her. And, you know, that's what our striving should, should do. Our understanding should be that as we grow in, a, in our knowledge of the Lord and his love for us, as we grow in the confidence of that, gradually that will seep out, as it were, and people will notice. And it's very different from how the world wants people to claim their identity, whether that's through their work or their successes. This is on a very consistent foundation. This is unchanging. When God says you are his, you are a chosen people, nothing that you do impacts that foundational status of who you are. That's right. And it's not something to, uh, 
You know, as soon as you have achieved identity, then the next phase is to hold on to it. You've got to grasp onto it and try to hang on so you'll never lose it. This you can never lose. This is your status that we're to grow into. And this is our private lives. And it's interesting that he says that you may, um, he uses the term that you may declare his excellences. The, the reason he's put us in this position is so we can declare his praises uh, to, to, to everyone. And then publicly, when we live this out, I love what he says, and I brought this out in the, the sermon. I don't know if people caught this, but in verse 12, he says, we live these lives of goodness, of beauty, so that they, people that see us, the pagans, the, the Gentiles that see us, that they may glorify God at some point. And, and, and the idea there is for, for them to look at our lives and ascribe the only rational thing that can make sense of that is they must know God. And so they end up seeing our works, but glorifying God. So one question that does come up, especially when we're looking at this as being a Jewish audience for Peter's first readers, the wording that he uses comes from Exodus, and it's a very Jewish statement to say that he he's talking to a chosen people, a, a holy nation. Um, how is this, when we look at Peter talking to a Jewish audience, how do we as non-Jewish believers fit into this? Okay, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I got to tell you, theologians have handled this different ways. Like, for instance, some theologians will uh, obviously, there are no Christians in the Old Testament, so why study the Old Testament if it was written, <laughs> you know, to, to Jews in the Old Testament? What's our benefit? And I think their benefit—well, let me tell you the wrong way to do that. Uh, a lot of people read the church back into the Old Testament. There is theology that says Israel was the church back then. I think the way you read that, though, is how does God interact with his people? How does he discipline? How does he love them? Uh, how does he interact with them? And uh, so that is beneficial to us. Also, it's laying a foundation. Uh, Paul will say these things happened as an example to us. Uh, the idea or the concept of how the Old Testament and uh, you know the Jewish um, aspects of this interact with the Christian faith it, it is debatable for, by people. I personally think that in order to truly understand a given text, you, you have to understand the audience. And again, this book, there's a lot of confusion on that. Most people think it's written to believers. I think it's helpful to understand that it's written to a segment of believers, Messianic Jews, because then the richness of the text, in other words, the passage we covered this past week, we looked back into Exodus, uh, I think my, my first verses was Exodus 19, verse 6, Isaiah 43, verses 20 to 21, and we see how Peter is encouraging them. And so we stand back and we understand and we, we we look at the text as it was written to them, and only after that understanding do we step in and accept that. Because then we ask the question, okay, if, if they were struggling with the temple, if they were struggling with their identity, what are some ways by application 
do we as Gentile believers struggle in the same way? And I think the way we struggle is like, like, like they would look back and try to rely on their Jewish identity. I think a lot of people uh, rely on their denominational identity, whether it's Baptist, whether it's Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic. They look back and they say, well, I am a believer because of, of these things. And no, the Word says God has you as his special possession. God has you in a, in a special place. So uh, while a lot of people will jump to the application right away as to how this applies to Gentile believers, I don't think that's the best way to handle the text. We, we read the text in its context, and we understand it that way. Then we can jump to application. So, for instance, in verse 12, when he says, live uh, such good lives among the pagans, as the NIV would say, or Gentiles, as I believe the New American Standard in ESV says, um, I think he's talking about Gentiles there. Um, and, and I am in the minority on that because most commentators say, well, he's using Gentiles as a picture of unbelievers. I think that's what he's talking about, though, is literal Gentiles, pagans, that have no frame of reference to the God of Israel. And so they have unique struggles about their identity, and we are going to have different struggles about our identity. Does that answer the question? Yeah, so when you say Gentiles, you're talking about in the letter, it refers to unbelieving non-Jewish people. Correct. Because the Jews that are believing in Jesus as the Messiah are coming to that decision with uh, some knowledge, the knowledge of prophecy, the, uh, you know, there, there's a whole— There's a history. There's a history there that they bring. And, you know, the Gentiles didn't have that. Right. And so Peter has to address things in such a way to help them understand that God isn't going on a second plan. This was the plan all along. For the, for the Messiah to be suffering, not a uh, ruling Messiah or a conquering Messiah of the Gentiles, but a redeeming Messiah, a sacrificial Messiah, so that all of us could come in. So I think that's why it's important, reading First Peter in its original context, in the way the original readers would do it. And then we can ask ourselves, what histories am I bringing to the Christian faith? We can ask ourselves, what, what histories am I bringing to to my Christian walk. And uh, if we see the way Peter addresses the Jewish believers, and we see that, that answer, and we understand it from that perspective, then we can step right in and have him address our histories as well. You know, uh, one of the principles in interpretation is what's not said and, and what is said <laughs> But when we read a book, we have to figure out what the questions were. We, we, it's kind of like Jeopardy. We receive the answer, and by the answers, by what is said, we need to figure out, okay, what's the question? What's the issue that they are addressing? And I think the evidence is very strong that this book is written to Jewish believers who have embraced Jesus as their Messiah. Because remember, what's also going on here is that Gentiles that Paul is leading to, to Christ, they are being urged by Judaizers to embrace and become Jewish, so embrace Jewish practices 
like the different festivals, the different worship, you know. Uh, at this time, the church is trying to figure out something like, when do we worship? Do we worship from the Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, or do we worship Sunday morning? And and most of the church was doing both at this time. So they were really looking for an identity, and I think this passage really helps them understand that issue. Yeah, I think that offers a lot of clarity to these passages and especially gives us a good view of it as we go forward and deeper into the book, because I know more of those questions are going to come up as we get to later chapters. So thank you for breaking that down, and thank you all for listening to another episode of Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church.